When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. We lied. Dan Lobby said on the Thursday game preview pod that there would not be any more Orange Brown Talk podcasts this week. And then Scott Patsko said, you know what? I know it's a holiday week, but the people need to hear about Ravens-Browns matchups. This game is too important. I will put in the work. I was like, Scott, man, I I, I kind of don't want to do it. And Scott was like, Doug, it's got to watch the tape. The people need it. So we're here. And we are looking forward. And Scott Patsko has the big matchups for Sunday night that are going to determine the Browns versus the Ravens. Scott Patsko, dive in on got to watch the tape. Right. We interrupt our regularly scheduled podcast where we talk about all the Browns problems. You know, to bring you the special presentation of Gotta Watch the Tape, where we talk about somebody else's problems. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope, hope it was an enjoyable day. And, and now you get to this. It just feels like everybody hurts is quickly becoming like the theme song of this entire NFL season. And got more into the Ravens this week. Uh, it just really started to hit me that the Browns and the Ravens have had really similar seasons. And they've had similar performances in games. In a lot of ways, even though the Ravens are first, Browns are last, just one win separates them, which I think is appropriate considering uh, how they cl- how close they are in, in a lot of ways. So we like to use DVOA on this podcast as a measurement for how entire teams and offensive and defensive units perform. I think it's better than the PFF uh, grading for that kind of thing. So in terms of team DVOA, entire team, how efficient they are, the Ravens 15th, the Browns 17th, offensive DVOA, the Browns 12th. The Ravens 14th defensive DVOA, the Browns 24th, the Ravens 27th. So not much separation there. And now we know that the Browns are really good at running the ball. We know the Ravens are really good at running the ball. The Browns actually lead the league in rushing yards and rushing yards per game, 156 per game. The Ravens are fourth in yards and third in yards per game, 151. So again, very close. Ravens are second in defense against the run. They're only allowed in 88 Point six yards per game at this point. Hmm. And the Browns were below 90 prior to the last two weeks. They had a rough couple of weeks there, uh, stopping the run. They're currently ranked seventh though at 101.4 per game. So still in the ballpark. And we know that over the course of the whole entire season, they've done a really good job uh, stopping the run. And it's really been the strength of, of both defenses. The Ravens uh, have played six games decided by seven points or less, including three overtime games. The Browns have played six games decided by seven points or less. Uh, the Ravens have like a plus 17 point differential. The Browns are a little below the Mendoza line there. They're at minus seven. But again, it's both those point differentials are kind of reflective of a team that has been in a lot of close games. The difference, of course, is that the Ravens are five and one in those close games. The Browns are three and three. Mm. The Ravens are, are coming out of those games the way the Browns came out of those games last season. And that's why we talked a lot about regression at the beginning of this year is that it's not logical or likely that 
a team will continue to do that. And the Browns are kind of proving that. So I just want to throw those things off the top, just overall, like generally between these two teams that there are a lot of similarities, but the Ravens are just, they've come out ahead and they got a you know field goal kicker who can hit them from 66. I like you setting up a Ravens regression for next season already. They're yeah. like, Hey, whatever you do, knock a couple wins off the Ravens a year from now. Um, you're not where, so Justin Tucker, again, if Justin Tucker does not hit the longest field goal in NFL history and it bounces through off the crossbar, they lose to Detroit and they would be six and four instead of seven and three. Yeah. You're worried about your, your guy chase at all talking about it. If this comes down, I mean, there's everybody loses a kicker matchup against Justin Tucker, but at least chase McLaughlin had been making everything. And then he missed one the other Sunday. You still good with chase. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, oh, that was not a convincing. Yes. That was a, yeah. Well, look, he said two blocked. Right. And I, I didn't care enough to find out if Preeper thought those were his fault or, or someone else's, but they're blocked. And uh, the, he did, he did miss a field goal this past week in Cleveland Brown stadium where it's, you know, not That was in the dog pound end. Correct. I don't know. No, I can't even remember, but I mean, yeah, it's been a rough couple of weeks, um, but Hey, it's, it's not the first time a Browns kicker has missed uh, a field goal and an extra point in the same yeah. game. Uh, and the fact that he had done so well before that maybe gives you hope for the rest of the season. But yeah, if, if he has another couple games here where he's, where he's not connecting, especially on extra points, um, then you got issues going into the final five, four or five games of the year. Yeah. I wasn't paying attention to what end he missed it at. I was just thinking to myself, I can't wait to blame Scott Patsko for this. So <laughs> All right, let's talk about a guy who's going to matter more about this game in this game than the kickers, though, and that's Lamar Jackson. Right. He is one of the ultimate difference makers in the NFL, and we thought the Browns this offseason were attempting, while completely reshaping their defense, to do things with Lamar Jackson in mind. So what are they going to do against him on Sunday? Yeah, the conversation with the Ravens just starts with Lamar and how you're going to defend him because he is the offense. Um, the Browns are one in four against the Ravens when Lamar starts a quarterback. That includes 0 and 2 last season. Uh, their one win in this run of games, that 34 24 game, week four back in 2019. I wouldn't say the Browns really had an answer for Lamar in that game. He was picked off twice and, and they had four sacks, but he still completed 70% of his passes with three touchdowns. He ran nine times for 66 yards. As you'll find, as you go through and look at the Ravens over the last couple of years, turnovers doomed this team so many times. And that was an example of it uh, in that game. But for the record, the Browns blitzed him 14 times in that game, 36% of his dropbacks. This is back when the Browns were among the league leaders in blitz rate. They averaged blitzes on 38% of the pass plays that year, which ranked fifth. Anyway, Lamar was six of nine with three TDs and a pick and a PFF passing grade of 82.4 against the Browns when he was blitzed in that game. So again, it was, it, it, a lot of it came down to the turnovers uh, really kind of dooming the Ravens. I, I don't come away from that game thinking that, that they did a great job on him. Uh, and it's, it's, I'm not sure that you could even say they contained him. It's just the turnovers kind of, kind of blew it up for the Ravens, but you can't count on turnovers. So how do you stop Lamar Jackson? Here's what some teams have done this year, and it's, it's been kind of varied. Uh, and there's a few uh, games that stand out. Week one against uh, the Raiders. I looked at this game because the Raiders have the lowest blitz rate in the league 
this season, just 13%. The Browns are much high, aren't much higher. They're at 21%, which is ranked 27. So so, sort of similar in, in the fact that neither team really blitzes a lot. The Raiders only blitzed Lamar twice in week one, but they managed to get pressure on him 46% of the time. They dropped back into zone coverage almost exclusively, like more than 90% of the passing snaps, they were back in zone coverage. Joe Wood just talked about how zone allows players to keep their eyes on the ball, yep. which makes sense. You know, you're dropping back, you're, you're looking forward, as opposed to playing man and running with a player and potentially losing track of where the ball is at times, keeping their eyes on the ball helped the Raiders in this game. And that's extra important against a quarterback like Lamar because of the run element that he brings. If the quarterback takes off, you're more likely to see it close on it quicker playing zone. than if you're playing man, obviously that, that should make sense to everybody. Anyway, Lamar completed 63% of his passes in that game. He was 13 of 18 from a clean pocket, but was under pressure almost as much as he was in a clean pocket. And he rushed for 86 yards on 12 carries he had a costly fumble. Again, turnovers. They, they fumbled four times in that game, and they lost two of them, and one was, was really crucial. Uh, but that's how the Raiders uh, went after him is zone, don't blitz, just drop back and cover a clog, clog everything up, and, and try to deal with him that way. Then he gets to the Lions in week three. This was the 1917 win for the Ravens. It was the Justin Tucker 66-yard field goal game. Lamar completed only 51% of his passes in that game. The Lions only blitzed. Six times out of 40 dropbacks. But again, they still managed to get a lot of pressure. Four sacks. He was under pressure on 45% of his dropbacks. Again, lots of zone in this one. The Lions played man less than 5% of the time. They dialed it back, actually, from what they knew. They're up around 25% blitzing. They're down about 15% in this game. So they absolutely went in with a purpose of, I'm sure, paying attention to what the Raiders did. And kind of following that template, Lamar threw one touchdown and one pick, but also converted a big fourth and 19 with a 35 yard pass to Sammy Watkins to set up that 66 yard field goal to win it. He also had a couple of deep balls dropped that would have certainly changed the outlook or just how people felt coming out of this game, uh, possibly making it uh, not so tight. But rushing wise, seven carries for 58 yards that did include a 31 yarder. So. Driving back, playing in zone, kind of helped them in terms of keeping him under wraps running, except for one big one that, that hurt. But again, the defense focused on keeping their eyes on the ball. Last one is week nine versus the Dolphins. And this is where things kind of change. He completed 60% of his passes. Not great. They lost 22-10. He was sacked four times. This was, uh, I think this was a Sunday night game. So a lot of people saw this Sunday or Monday night. The Dolphins blitzed him relentlessly 30 times. That's 60% of his dropbacks. He was under pressure only 38% of the time, though, which is still high, but not as high as you'd think on those blitzes. But that's kind of how the Dolphins operate. They blitz a lot. They don't really get home as much as you think they should. Um, They blitz 35% of the time, but they're 21st in pressure rate. But in this game, it was like go big or go home, and they decided to go big and blitzed him 30 times. They played a lot of cover zero, which is where your players in coverage have no help over the top. It's basically everybody's on one-on-one, and if you're not covering somebody, you're you're rushing. And the help is just not normally going to be there. So it's putting a lot of pressure on, on your corners and, and your safeties or whoever's actually matched up in coverage to play one-on-one. They also yeah. played a lot of cover one, which does have a, you know someone back, but again, it's, it's very minimum. You're really putting a lot of pressure on, on your secondary. But it also helps you clog up the running lanes against Lamar. 
by having so many people in the box who could potentially blitz. He ran nine times for just 39 yards in that game. You're left vulnerable for deep shots, but the Dolphins pretty much avoided those. Lamar was one of four on passes of 20 yards or more. He was two of seven on passes of 10 to 19 yards. The point here is there's no one way to get pressure on Lamar, but he's been blitzed and it's worked. Teams have rushed four and dropped into heavy zone looks and that's, and that's worked. But I think the one thing the Dolphins managed to do is get pressure on him while also containing his running. And that's the key. The Raiders, the Raiders and the, uh, and the line, managed to get pressure, but he still got loose for some runs. Um, I think the Bengals game you could throw in here as well. There are games where they got pressure, but he still, he still managed to run. That didn't happen against the Dolphins. The Bears got lucky last week, sort of. I mean, they lost, but they didn't have to face Lamar. So we don't know if they would have been able to copy what the Dolphins did, but what they did against backup Trevor Huntley suggests that they would have tried because the Bears blitzed they only blitz about 22% of the time, which is roughly around where the Browns are. But they blitzed Huntley 30 times, 68% of his dropbacks, which wow, sounds a lot like what the Dolphins did. Uh, the Bears faced 20 pass attempts while sending five or more rushers at Huntley. So he ended up uh, being 14 of 20 for 100 yard, 101 yards and a pick on those. He was sacked five times on blitzes. So uh, they managed to, to slow down the Ravens with Huntley. A quarterback, we don't know how that would have looked with Lamar. He was a late, it was a late decision that day to say that Lamar wasn't going to play, or at least it was publicly. And the Ravens have kind of indicated that if people want to keep playing that way, they have answers. So we, again, we don't know how that would have looked with Lamar Jackson when we're not sure how that would look if the Browns tried it. Um, It would certainly be a big change because like we've said, the Browns don't blitz that much they have tried to blitz Lamar quite a bit and it hasn't really worked in the past Joe Woods has tried that hasn't really worked in the past so yeah we're not sure but maybe that's the new recipe for dealing with Lamar Jackson and maybe the Browns are better equipped to do that um, than even the Dolphins were blitz like you've never blitzed before clog the running lanes put your defensive backs kind of on an island but the Browns certainly have a crew of corners who excel in man coverage and could make that work Man, you had me at the beginning. I was like, all right, I'm all in on this. And then it's like, oh, or the opposite. I want Joe, in general, I think Joe Wood should blitz more. But my instinct here is more play zone, get four-man pressure, and then let the, the guys that you brought in, JOK, John Johnson III, Grant Delpit, guys in the middle of the field that you think can help shut down both Lamar throwing in the middle and running in the middle where he's hurt the Browns a lot in the past, keep your eyes on him and shut that down. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't feel like to me that this, this is the time for the the Browns who don't blitz much to get blitz happy because the dolphins were, I think Brian Flores, they thought they were going to be good this year. Brian Flores is a defensive head coach. And I think that was a, who cares? I mean, what we stink, our season's over. I don't know. Blitz him. It doesn't matter. The Browns are like in the middle of a playoff race and their season's going to be decided these two games against the Ravens. The other thing is, Scott, I'm curious. And again, it's different for the Raisins, Raven, the Raisins, Baltimore Raisins. Ooh, I heard it through. So they do have a game in between when the, when the Browns play 
Ravens by Ravens. The Ravens are playing the Steelers in between, right? I think is right. is right. So it's not quite the same for them, but I almost wonder if with the defensive game plan against Lamar Jackson, do the Browns do one thing in one game and the other thing in the other game that you, it, you think like, well, we don't want to show them the same look twice when it's so close together. We'll have a blitz happy game and we'll have a not blitz happy game. Right. But I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious. I think there's a lot of strategy um, that I'm really intrigued by with the way this schedule has worked for the Browns. But my instinct, my instinct right now is don't blitz in this first game and, and play zone and keep your eyes on him. What, what, what's your instinct? You've made the case for both sides. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm kind of curious to see how the Browns would, how well they would do that if they did the cover zero and, and, and really went after him. Um, now they, they did, they, they blitzed him a lot last, like last year in week one, that was, they did kind of do two different things. We I mean, week one, they blitzed him 10 times. Uh, which was like 34%. It was dropbacks and the Brown, that was way high for what the Browns would go on to, to do last season. They ended the year at like 21% blitz rate, but Lamar was six of eight on those blitzes. He's under pressure seven times. He's only sacked once. Brown's got pressure 48% of the time on Lamar in that game, but he was eight of 10 Had a touchdown. He was sacked twice just under when he was under pressure. So it didn't work as well. Obviously they had issues on offense that just deep six them there. But the Browns played zone about 75% of the time in that first game. Okay. Uh, and then the second game, the week 14 shootout, they only blitzed them three times. Uh, they still got pressure on them uh, almost 40% of the time, but it was still less than that first game. Lamar, he was under pressure on 10 dropbacks. He was three of three, he scrambled three times. Overall, when he was under pressure, he still picked up five first downs. He was sacked four times. They played a little less zone, like 70%, but it was still, I mean, that's, Basically what Joe Woods did last year, he, he leaned into more zone. So it wasn't that much different, but the blitzing definitely got dialed back in that second game. Uh, it was a lot closer. The offense certainly played a lot better, which is going to have a lot to do with how the Browns, with the result they get you know, on Sunday. But he's tried a couple of different things, but obviously nothing near what, you know, the amount of times the Dolphins blitzed or the amount of times the Bears blitzed. Mary Kay mentioned on the Thursday pod, like what a good blitzer Jeremiah Wusu-Kormo is. So part of you is like, all right, well, he's here. He's new. And you, you hope he's as healthy as he can be. He's probably not going to be 100% Sunday, but trying to get healthy. So it's like, all right, well, blitz him. But then on the other hand, to me, it's like, well, he's one of the guys here to sort of clog up the middle, play zone. If he tries to run, go get him, play coverage. And so I kind of want him doing that too. So I, I almost, it felt like I don't, I don't know that the plan was bad in game two last year in the highs in the shootout, but it felt like they didn't have the personnel to execute it. And then they brought in the personnel who might be better equipped to execute that kind of kind of game plan. So that's, that's why I'd like to see that kind of game plan, even though the dolphins got home with the blitzes. I don't know. And again, they should be able to get four man pressure led by miles Garrett. Yeah. And I think the the biggest thing, you want to get from JOK maybe is more of how he deals with Mark Andrews. And I mean, his coverage ability is, is his strength. And yeah, he's, he's great as a blitzer because he's quick and fast. He can avoid linemen. Um, but the coverage aspect of his game is, is number one beyond that. Um, yes. You want to blitz him. Uh, Troy Hill, I believe returned to practice this week. He's another big one because he's in the slot. He's going to be closer to the ball a lot of the times. And he has been in the backfield. He's been great against the run. 
So he's another another weapon in that respect. But yeah, I, I do agree that this could be a big game for JOK in showing all the different athletic things you want to see out of a player like that in coverage, dealing with a mobile quarterback, you know, all of it. All right. So Scott laid out the case. I guess you listeners have got to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> tell Joe Woods. I mean, it is. It's interesting. The, the Dolphins really flipped the script on that because it felt like early, right? People were sort of dialed in on, all right, don't go after him. And then the Dolphins just said, the heck with that. Mm-hmm. All right. They have other offensive players, apparently. We'll talk a little bit about some of them next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Doug Maurice back with Scott Patsko. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Coverage on Sunday night. Again, double Harbaugh weekend for people who are fans of both the Browns and the Ohio State Buckeyes. So the Ravens lost a bunch of running backs before the season even started, beginning with former Ohio State running back J.K. Dobbins out for the year. They brought in Rashad Bateman, who was maybe it's only in my head, but it felt like to me when the Browns were picking in the draft last April, it was maybe between Greg Newsom and Rashad Bateman. And they took Greg Newsom and nobody has looked back on that. Greg Newsom has been absolutely worth the 20th pick in the draft, but it allowed the, the Ravens to grab a much needed receiver for them. He was out early in the year. He's come back where, where are the other danger spots on this offense beyond Lamar Jackson? How good has this offense been other than the quarterback doing his thing? I'll get to some specific players, but I think where they have not been good is right at the beginning of a game. Like the Ravens have had a really tough start or time getting off to a good start this season. They're averaging 2.7 points per game in the first quarter, which ranks 23rd. Uh, they just, I think Lamar Jackson even called it kind of ridiculous uh, a week or two ago, just how poorly they played in the first quarters and how they could, cannot get out ahead. Uh, the Browns are only ranked 14th at uh, 4.1 points per game in the fourth quarter, but they've been really good at being productive on their open drives. Browns have scored in six of 11 opening drives this season. And two other drives have gone at least 10 plays and ended on fourth downs in opponent territory. Like only three drives have gone nowhere for the Browns to start games this season. So if, if you want to like make a really specific prop bet with somebody over Thanksgiving dinner this weekend, win some money from your uncle, maybe uh, saying the Browns will jump out to a double digit lead in the first half and then lose that lead in the second half. <laughs> like that's, that's the prop bet you want to throw out there because it's just waiting to happen in this game. The Browns have been good at, at scoring early. Uh, the Ravens just have not. Um, but that's, that's just it's like one of the things that every week, uh, has just been an issue with the Ravens and just comes up in, in post-game press conferences is, you know, what's going on in the first quarter. And like I said, Lamar called it ridiculous, but he's been sacked 28 times, which is third most he's eighth in pressures against. So let's talk about his line first. Um, Alejandro Villanueva, who Browns fans will remember from the Steelers is third among all tackles and pressures allowed this season with 38. His seven sacks are tied for second. Now he's a left tackle. So that means He's going to see a ton of Miles Garrett, uh, who's played almost 90% of his snaps against left tackles this season. Uh, the right tackle, Patrick McCarry, he's been out for a few weeks. He just came back uh, against the Bears. He had an ankle injury, and he returned and gave up a team-high four pressures and a hmm. sack, although he's been mostly solid. He's, he's going to see Jadavian Clowney and then uh, Villanueva get Garrett. Villanueva, though, has graded 51.1 in pass protection, and we know that's not good. Uh, he has... 22 more pressures allowed on the Ravens than anybody else on their roster. 
this is the point where we point out how bad Garrett has been. Well, that's not right. Fair. We'll just say he's really struggled against the Ravens, at least by his standards, in six career games because he missed one because of the suspension. He has 20 pressures and one and a half sacks against the Ravens. And those sacks came in 2018. So over the last three games, he has nine pressures and zero sacks against the Ravens. Of course, Orlando Brown is no longer there uh, with the Chiefs, right? Yeah, with the yes. Chiefs. Ronnie Stanley out for the season again with an ankle injury. So Garrett will be happy to see Villanueva at left tackle as opposed to the guys that, that he's faced. So that's, that's a matchup that the Ravens, I'm sure, are spending a lot of time trying to figure out how they're going to help uh, Villanueva in, in, in those situations because he has not had a good season, and now he's facing a guy who's either among the leaders or in the lead for Defensive Player of the Year. And that's one of those important things that you just pointed out, that the jerseys are the same, but the players have changed. And yes. the Ravens used to be at a point where Ronnie Stanley was our left tackle and Orlando Brown got mad because he thought he should be a left tackle and he wanted to get paid like a left tackle. So they had like two left tackle quality guys and now they don't have either of them and they don't have any left tackle quality guys. So that is a gigantic drop off from what Miles Garrett has traditionally faced when he goes against Baltimore. So same jerseys, different dudes. Yeah, and it wasn't just one guy who was kind of keeping him in check either uh, because over the last couple of years, he had really switched sides a lot, a lot more than he's done this year, for sure. Uh, so he saw both Brown and Stanley and just, you know, they just did a good job on him, not yep. just by themselves, but also obviously he got guys chipping him. He got tight ends helping, that kind of thing. So the, the Ravens are third in the league in rushing yards per game, but that's mostly Lamar. He leads the team with 639 yards and is tied with Nick Chubb for the league lead in yards per carry. It's six. Lamar Jackson and Nick Chubb, both leading the league. Uh, their running backs, meanwhile, are only averaging four yards per carry, and that's a group that includes Devonta Freeman, Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, Tyson Williams. Williams has averaged five and a half yards per carry, the best of the group, but he seems to have fallen out of favor. Apparently, he hasn't had a carry in the last three games, and a lot of people who cover the Ravens and follow the Ravens are not sure why. Um, but again, like like you said, that up top, that's a group that they kind of pieced together after yeah. so many injuries in their backfield, and um, they certainly haven't been. They, they've gained yards, they've gotten a lot of yards, but just on an efficiency standpoint, they they are not what they used to be. The Ravens are actually negative in EPA per attempt when they use their running backs to run the ball, minus zero point five, which ranks thirteenth. The Browns, by the way, are second best in the league. They're point zero seven, which Shouldn't be a surprise. But when you add in Lamar to that and do quarterbacks and running backs together, their EPA shoots up to 2.02, which I know, again, these numbers are low on EPA, but that's actually pretty, not bad for a, running, uh, for a running attack. And that ranks fifth. So they go from 13th to fifth when you include Lamar Jackson. Lamar by himself, if you rank himself, rank just Lamar among quarterbacks and running backs, he's third in EPA per rushing attempt. He's ahead of Nick Chubb. Only Jalen Hurts, who's first, and Jonathan Taylor, who's second, are ahead of him. So, yeah, he's, he's the offense. And that's why we spent a portion of this podcast talking about how you defend him. Receiving-wise, the Ravens are sort of mirroring the Chiefs at this point in the year and that they have a wide receiver and a tight end dominating their targets. Marquise Brown and, and Mark Andrews both have double the targets of any other play on the roster. They also have double the catches and com have combined for 10 touchdowns. So if the Browns do sell out, and decide they're going to blitz the Ravens like the Dolphins did 
or like the Bears did. At least it'll be clear who he's looking for the most. Um, they've really become uh, centric with with those two guys getting uh, most of the action. And Marquise Brown is a guy that I think everybody around the Ravens had been sort of waiting on, right? Mm-hmm. And it and this year he's sort of living up to what they thought he might be when they drafted him a couple of years ago and in, in trying to give Lamar Jackson a, a real number one target. And again, I think Bateman was hurt early. He, he factors in, but Hollywood Brown is, is kind of finally doing his thing. And that's, that certainly is a big deal for them. Yeah. And Sammy Watkins as well. We mentioned he had, he had a big fourth and 19 um, catch against the lions, but yeah, it's just when when it comes to them this season, though, it's not, it's certainly not a spread the ball around type offense, certainly not what the Browns are trying to do. Yeah. Um, so there's certain guys they look for in, in certain situations and it's, it's Brown and Andrews. And that's another way, reason why, like I said, JOK is going to be big because man, tight ends have killed the Browns so much over in recent seasons. And even in week one, when it was mostly Malcolm Smith out there trying to cover Travis Kelsey and that resulted in two touchdowns. So now you're seeing another really good tight end. And, and if JOK is, is on the field a lot and is in good enough health, it could be, it could be a real difference maker. Can I ask you a tangent that is a full off season podcast, but I'm I like a 30 second answer here. What do you think is better a spread the ball around offense or an offense where you target one or two of your best guys a lot? I think, it, I think we've brought this up before. Like I wondered like what would happen if this offense was one where Baker was always looking for a Nijoku and Donovan people's Jones. Like those are the guys who were like far away. Believes in targets. I, that's something that I think is worth a little research because when you think back like to the Steelers, the killer B Steelers, mm-hmm. just Roethlisberger buying time. And eventually Antonio Brown is going to get open, you know? Uh, and it's the same way with the chiefs, you know, Tyree kill, Travis, they're going to get open. And you know that those are the guys he's looking for, but it just happens. And I don't look at anybody on the Browns as being that guy receiving wise right now. I, obviously a lot of it depends on personnel, but I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of like I, having I dudes. I, I'd take the dudes and be like, I don't want to spread it around. I want to throw it to my best couple guys as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Which is, but every now and then when the Browns talk about it, it almost feels like, well, I don't know. We can't help it. We have to spread it around. It's the rule. You, you can't decide that you want to throw it to your best guys. You have to throw it to whoever the defense decides to leave open. Sorry, it's out of our hands. And it's like, is it? Is it out of your hands? Can't yeah. you just throw it to your best guys? But again, hashtag too many good players. <laughs> well, it's, it's the difference between an offense that's designed to create matchups and then you take advantage of that matchup, no matter who is involved in that matchup. Versus one where you're relying on players to get open. Like the Bengals are in players get open mode right now with Joe Burrow and, and um, Jamar Chase. Like their job is just, they need to get open and they largely do. They win their one-on-one matchups and they've had success doing that. The Browns just operate totally differently. It's, it doesn't seem to matter so much who's where or who the guys are who might be getting those mismatch opportunities. That's, that's where you're going. It is interesting. Is it, one is more a little bit like we're going to throw to our best guys. And the other one is more, we're going to throw at their worst guys. Cause we're going to think about right. where the matchup is and matchup means where their bad guys are or where they have a slow guy on a fast guy, or they have a small guy and a big guy or whatever. 
And that can that can lead you down a path where Odell Beckham Jr. feels like he never gets the ball. And so that's not I'm not trying to have exactly. that conversation, but there is a philosophical thing here that at times I can understand that people get frustrated with the Browns and like, well, quit spreading it around. Quit throwing it to Harrison Bryant as much as you throw it to a more dynamic guy. I don't care if what his matchup was. It's time to throw the ball to Donovan Peoples-Jones. So anyway, that's that's an offseason pod. We'll put it on the list. Um, <laughs> all right. Who, who else is left with this offense that you want to, want to dissect? Um, that was it. The only other thing I was going to mention is that the good news for the Browns is that the Ravens really don't throw screens at all. Um, they have two. And the Browns have faced the fourth most screen passes this season. I mean, they've talked about it. John Johnson III talked about how the Patriots – you know, noticed what the Steelers and other teams did to them and, and did that. Uh, so maybe they get a week off from that, or maybe the Ravens go, Hey, <laughs> there's something there for the taking. And, and Mark Andrews is catching three screens and, you know, running for 50 yards. You know why the Ravens don't throw screens? You know who their screen is Lamar. Yeah. It's like, Oh, let the defense penetrate and then take advantage of the defense's aggression and then do something. It's like, that's called Lamar Jackson being himself. Oh, here comes the defense. Whoop. Why would you set that up and then throw it to like a tight end when you can just yeah. tell Lamar Jackson to hold on to the ball for a couple seconds and then run? So, yeah, the screen is him holding the ball, looking at the defensive end and seeing what he does and then deciding to keep it or not. And yeah, yeah then you got the ball in your playmaker's hands. Yeah. Screen to himself. Mm. Okay. Let's do defense because that's important. And I, it is interesting to note. This, this, the, the Browns saw this a couple of weeks ago. It's just Matt Judon, I think people view as maybe the best free agent signing this year. He went from the Ravens to the Patriots and he's tearing it up for the Patriots. We know that in the offseasons, like the Ravens were sort of turning over their defensive line. So, where are they now defensively? And if you listen to this podcast feed at all, you know what Mary Kay Cabot thinks of the, Bra- of the Ravens' pass defense rating. It's not good. <laughs> but we'll do all of that next on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, so we were offense heavy early, but this is a defense with some vulnerabilities, which might be exactly what an aching Browns offense that is getting a little healthier needs. Yeah, can we just splice in Mary Kay saying that they have the 31st ranked defense here? Did you have that editing like, ability? We have, like, <laughs> I should have a button on my computer uh, that yes. we'll just drop that in. <laughs> but it's it, it just because she says it all the time doesn't make it any less true. So right. there's opportunity to be had. Right. The, so the Browns have talked a lot this season about how different aspects of their defense have struggled to get on the same page this season. It's the same story with the Ravens. Overall, they're giving up the eighth most yards per game this season. Second most passing yards per game this season, 281, which I believe is the point Mary Kay makes. Uh, about their past events. Uh, as we pointed out at the top, they've been good against the run. They're ranked second in yards allowed. Where the Ravens have had big problems is with explosive plays. Big plays, huge momentum, shifting plays. They rank 31st in stopping explosive pass plays, meaning they don't. Uh, they rank 30th in stopping explosive run plays. They have given up eight plays of 50 yards or more on defense this season. 50 yards. The Bears had a 60-yard pass play last week. Andy Dalton was involved. They also had a 49-yard pass play. Both were touchdowns. So that's been an issue. 
And like you mentioned, they have had uh, some injuries. Uh, Pro Bowl cornerback Marcus Peters, season-ending knee injury before the season started. They lost uh, safety Deshaun Elliott a few weeks ago. So they're hurting in that respect. They have done well in coverage against number one receivers. They rank ninth in DVOA against number one receivers, but they're 24th against second and third receivers. And they're 32nd in coverage of running backs. So hello, Kareem Hunt, who yeah, was first real. on the team in catches and second in targets before he was injured. He's expected back this week. That could be huge. Also, while the Ravens defensive line is first in adjusted line yards, which means it's like it assigns value to the line based on how long the run it is. The longer the run, the less uh, responsibility the line gets. So they're first in adjusted line yards. Overall, good against the run. But they're 31st in open field yards, which is runs of 10 yards or more, which again goes back to that explosive play issue. So hello, Nick Chubb, who is second in the league with 29 runs of 10 yards or more this season. And he's just, you know, he's Mr. Explosive run uh, since he's joined the Browns rally. So those are two good things uh, in the Browns favor. The fact that the Ravens have a hard time covering running backs in coverage and they give up a lot of explosive plays, but two areas where the Browns will face their biggest test. And, and Baker Mayfield brought this up on Wednesday when, when uh, during his availability with the media, Number one is third downs. The Ravens are ranked first in getting off the field on third down. They're giving up a conversion rate of only 30.5%, and it's actually been at 26% the last three games. And as you know by now, the third downs have been an issue for the Browns on offense this season. They rank 23rd. They're only converting 37%. When we say converting, that means scoring a touchdown when you get in inside the 20. So Ravens have been excellent. The Browns have had their issues. The other area. Huge test, the red zone. And again, Baker pointed this out. The Ravens also rank first in red zone defense in terms of stopping teams from getting touchdowns. I think I just had that backed up. I, th- I was talking about third downs before. But they yeah, lead the lead. Yeah, yeah you yeah, bet yeah. before that, How? yeah, when you get a first down after the third yeah. down. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. So again, in the red zone, we're talking about how often they score a touchdown. They lead the league, 42.8% conversion rate allowed. And over the last three games, it's been down to 37.5%. As for the Browns in the red zone, they rank 19th. They're converting 57% of the time. It was a lot worse earlier this season. They've gotten creative the last few weeks in the red zone. You know, you've seen direct snaps to Jarvis Landry last week where he kind of made something out of nothing (laughs) and scored a touchdown. Uh, He tried that pitch against the Bengals. Didn't work out, but hey, it was something new. They're trying. Uh, He also had the direct snap to Johnny Stanton, the two fullback look. That didn't work. He got no gain. You are detailing all these weird things they do that don't work. <laughs> Jarvis's know. touchdown run was supposed to be a throw to Baker. And then he was like, oh, well, it, it also might have been. I, that was one option. The other option was a uh, screen to Austin Hooper because he shut his block and turned as if he was going to get a screen. And the lineman kind of broke out as if they were going to block, but it was covered. So both really both options. If Baker was, in fact, one of those options were covered. So, yeah, those haven't worked out great, but they're trying. I mean, and that's the important part. Is it is is the trying? Is that where we are in the NFL? Well, they tried. At least they're doing fun stuff we could talk about. I mean, what's more fun than directing, uh, sending a snap right to Johnny Stan? I don't I don't think anything more fun exists. There was a point in that play where Jarvis Landry was like holding the ball three yards behind the line of scrimmage with nothing happening. And then he was like, well, 
here we go. And then he just made something <laughs> out of nothing. And you're trying to credit creative play calling. You couldn't hey, get to over- Twitter fast enough to praise that play call. No part of it worked. <laughs> and then Jarvis got a, a scored out of sheer gumption. But go ahead. Bottom line is you have the ball in your playmaker's hands, right? The, the, <laughs> the, the Ravens use Lamar Jackson. The Browns use Jarvis Landry. You know, what? That's you all know I'm what? saying. Everyone wants to play Case Keenum if Baker's not to. They just play Jarvis. Can we it's, play yeah. Jarvis? Is that where you are? Scott Patsko says make Jarvis Landry the quarterback. Hey. Get the ball in your playmaker's hands. He's a lefty. He's throwing it with the right hand. Um, but the point here is that the Browns struggle in the red zone. That's the overarching point here. So, yes, those plays are fun, but you're right. They did not work, and the Browns are struggling in the red zone. The Ravens are really good in the red zone. So that's not great. The fact that the team you're going to play, the team you really need to beat to get on track, the team – you need to beat at least once in these next two weeks to be in a good position to make the playoffs excels at the things that you are really bad at. And that's, you know, that's not good. But like I said, you also have the flip side of that with explosive plays. Browns are really great at that. They're great at throwing their running backs. Um, and the Ravens do not have a, uh, a good track record this season of stopping those. So yeah, it could go either way. They are good. I mean, we know how good they are with explosive plays with their backs, right? That Chubb and Hunt are explosive, but they are not particularly equipped at the moment for explosive pass plays, are they? And statistically, I know I know Baker made a lot of big-time throws, statistically big-time throws in the second half last year, and I know he had the Donovan Peoples-Jones touchdown against Cincinnati, but that feels few and far between in the pass game at the moment. Right. Well, not all those have to be 50-yard passes in the air either. Um, the, the Ravens have not been a great tackling team this season. Uh, they're they're kind of like the upper third of the league in missed tackles. They have over seventy. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's created some of that problem, and it hasn't all been like they just don't have people over the top. I know. So that I know who you want to have the ball in his hands against a team that's having trouble tackling and gives up explosive plays. Starts with the Dimitrik and ends with the Felton. Feels like this could be a moment for him, right? Every week feels like it could be a moment for him, but it just <laughs> never happens. I mean, he's. He's very much quality uh, over quantity, much like Rashard Higgins has been in recent years. And Donovan Peoples-Jones continues to be. I think I think Dimitri still has the top offensive grade from PFF. He's over 90. Uh, at least he was last time I looked at that. Um, but yeah, I, look, it's week 12. Let's let's get this guy more involved in the offense. Let yeah. him let him try to create things and. Look, your defense or your wide receiver group is hurting right now. Landry, DPJ, and Schwartz uh, all set out practice on Wednesday. Sounds like a good good week to ramp up Demetric Felton and get some mismatches. No, I like it. I mean, that's what they're designed to do. Spread the ball around and get mismatches. That guy is, is a potential mismatch. And by this point in the year, right? I mean, he's a rookie as ever, but I feel like he... His football instincts, I think, seem pretty good. He, I think he, I don't think the, the moment's too big for him. And I think in, in given the right opportunities, not all the time, again, he's a sprinkle it in guy at this point, but this feels like an opportunity to maybe sprinkle him in on Sunday night. I'll tell you what, Scott, I, I picked the Browns to lose on the Thursday podcast, but there's enough here that the Browns can be some reasonable facsimile of their potential 
it's feels like they've got a shot. That third down thing is a real thing. That's going to come down to Baker's going to have to make a couple throws. Stefanski's going to have to call some really good stuff on third down. But there's enough here inside beyond just the hey, their pass defense is bad. That it you made it you made it interesting. I think when when you made your pick that they would that they would lose this first game and come back and win. Um, I think there's a lot of merit to that because it could be another two weeks before they are fully healthy and they have enough around Baker to overcome any issues he's having. Like they, they could be complete as complete as they've been on offense, not healthiest, but as complete uh, on Sunday night, you know, we'll have to wait to see how um, things look when you get to Sunday and who's active and who overcomes their injuries this week. But you add a bye week in there and then you come back and play them again at home. That could be the time when they truly are complete. Uh, and that's, that's as good as you can hope for because again, everybody's kind of banged up a little bit, but at least you have the guys on the field, Jack Conklin, Kareem Hunt, TPJ, stuff like that, who, who you were counting on and who, even if they're not at full strength, they're still maybe going to be a little bit better than your alternatives. And on the Baltimore version of got to watch the tape, they're talking about how, Hey, you know what? This Ravens pass defense hasn't been very good, but this could be a get healthy week. You watch yeah. Baker Mayfield. Odell Beckham Jr. Is gone. Anthony Schwartz is out. These guys are missing practice. This is not a pass defense that is going to threaten the Ravens the way that Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or some of the other guys they have faced this year have done. And so the Ravens, despite their flaws on defense, they're feeling very confident coming into this game because you watch the Browns offense the past couple of weeks and how can you not feel confident? So it is, I, I think it's weird. I don't know why the schedule makers do this. It's insane to me, but the Browns are playing the Ravens twice in a row with the bye week <laughs> in between. So in two weeks, we're just going to run this back. We're going to run the same thing. We'll drop in a couple, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll dub in what's needed because it's the same thing, unless it's not the same thing. It'll be very interesting, I think, to watch how Sunday night unfolds, listen and learn from the Browns during their bye week, and then try to figure out what's going to be different when they play the second time. And even if it's not injuries or whatever, just how what what's adjustments would you make? That'll be a very interesting week for you, Scott. Not that every week isn't interesting, but like <laughs> to try to figure out what's going to be the same and what's going to be different in round two of this matchup when it's so close together will be fascinating. But first, they're going to play on Sunday night. We appreciate you guys making Got to Watch the Tape part of your week. Again, we sort of flip-flop the pods this week. We hope you listen to the Picks pod on Thursday. Thanks for finding us here on Got to Watch the Tape on Friday. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns, and we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving with family and friends. We hope you have an enjoyable Football weekend, double Harbaugh weekend. For Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.